Welcome to AI Nerd, AI with Attitude. Today, I'm gonna to give a little attitude to Deborah and John, who have developed a system for leadership through inclusion. Deborah and John, how are you guys doing today? I think you're in Augusta, Georgia. How are you doing? Doing, doing well. We're, we're doing good. There's a thunderstorm outside, so you could probably hear a few thunderclaps. Um, but other than that, we're great. You know, that thing rolled through here today and woke everyone up at 4.50. Oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and I had no leadership skills this morning, except to say, I include all of you to go back to bed because it's 4.51. <laughs> I, however, decided to get some coffee and play chess. So I, I <laughs> that was my Play chess? Who'd you play chess with? Uh, I, longer story, but uh, for my birthday, I asked for a chess board and I, I have been playing chess. You play on, uh, there's a few free apps online. And oh, okay. I have like the are, book. Are you any good at it? Nothing to do with your stuff, but uh, I'm not any good. I'm learning. I'm learning, but I have fun with it for sure. Yeah, his thing is a harmonica, so he's trying to play yeah. harmonica. Yeah, not yeah. a great 20, choice at 451. 20 years and I still can't play a song, but anyway, different topic, I guess. Ah. Neil Young, you are not. No. <laughs> do you have a little device that, that hooks up and you just, yeah. Well, you know, I could do that, like kind of like braces when you were a kid, but the problem is, is I can't play any other instruments, so why would I need it, right? I, <laughs> just start singing, forget the words and start blowing into it. So um, that that's great. Um, hey, so you guys, by the way, have made uh, you have a patented patented system, and I'm going to just sell it short through leadership through inclusion. And and I, I by the way, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, uh, we, we've spoken a few times, and I think what you're doing and how you focus on leadership and diversity and equality and equity, all the things you're doing, you're going to talk about, is truly unique. I mean, it's been it has a patent, it has a, like the number with it and everything else. So there is real <laughs> uniqueness to it. But could you guys just take a few moments, tell me your story personally of where, how you got to this point, um, bring all the juicy details, we love that. And then and then talk about what you've developed and what you've built. Okay, cool. sounds good. Because yeah. that, that actually starts with me because yeah. um, I have been working in diversity and inclusion, mainly in the corporate world, to, to be honest. So for, for 25 years in the corporate world, I um, ran businesses and uh, you know, successfully focusing on PL and all that. Um, but really over on the side, I had this passion about diversity and inclusion and trying to find a really meaningful way to bring us all together. Uh, so I always ended up either starting or evolving diversity and inclusion programs in the corporate world. Along the way, ended up uh, writing for a diversity and inclusion magazine. And uh, one year they asked me to speak at their annual conference. I said, sure, be glad to do that. And sort of realized that, you know, John was the other part of it. And, um, and, and John at the time was working for Gallup. He was speaking all over the world. And quite honestly, he is one of the best speakers I've ever heard. So I kind of felt like they would get a booby prize if I spoke there, that they'd be- okay, First of all, what is, what is a booby, booby prize? I've, I've never earned <laughs> one of those. I'd like to earn. Well, one. You don't. You don't want one. So oh, just, okay. um, just think. Just think. Three hundred bucks at the at the at the booth at the county fair to get the one dollar stuffed animal. That that would that would be it. It's that is always a good investment. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so I suggested that he speak, and so because he was with Gallup and he was a professional speaker, they were excited to um, to have him speak. But then, you know, when I suggested to John that I volunteered him to, to speak at this conference, he was like, what am I going to speak on? He was always really interested in the topic, but not as passionately as I was. So um, I said, John, why don't you speak about your experiences on submarines? Because you told me that, you know, 
15 out of 20 years on submarines, that it was the most diverse and inclusive environment in the world. So why don't you talk about what makes that diverse and inclusive? And John said. I said, I, there's no speech there because it just sort of happens. I mean, there, you know, we never did equity training. We never did diversity training. We never did. It just sort of happens to which Deb said. <laughs> Things don't just happen. There's a system there, you know, from my years in, in corporate America, the things that are repeatable are usually repeatable because there is a system that causes them to repeat. Human nature is not necessarily, um, you know, to repeat things unless you have OCD or something. Um, but, but typically it just is arbitrary. So what we did was unpack all of the elements that make submarines so inclusive. And here, here's an example of how inclusive they are. And it's, this is actually uh, mentioned in both of our books, but every three years, every single individual, including the captain of the submarine turns over. So you have a brand new crew. That would be disastrous. Think about that in a small business or, or a small community. Every three years you have brand new people. It, it wouldn't function. You would not have the same result. Whereas on a submarine, they have a repeatable result. They focus on the mission, the mission gets done, the submarine gets uh, is, is underway and is operating in a predictable manner. So there is a system on submarines. So make, making a long story short, we unpacked this five-part system and we spoke about it at this conference and the reaction was unbelievable. I mean, this was about a, a mixed group of about 400 people, community leaders, some of them business leaders, some of them pastors of really large churches. I mean, you name it, and they sort of represented the, the makeup of this particular community. So what do you think, John? What, what was the reaction? It, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was really cool. This is why it was cool. Here's a, here's a diversity conference in a Southern city um, where the crowd is predominantly people of color and women, and a skinny white guy comes on stage to do the keynote speech. And you could feel it. It was palpable in the room. Uh, Wait, and, Deb, is he actually skinny? I feel like he's boasting a bit there. Uh, yeah, he, he is. She paused. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> wow. Wow. I got a couple of COVID pounds. So what? It happens. Oh, yes. The COVID-15 is up there as well. So, man. So, I, I you know, I, I, I opened up with something along these lines, which is... Um, you know, we have been talking, you wouldn't be at this conference if you weren't passionate about this topic. And I loosely connect, I loosely connected to the civil rights movement and the civil, the Voting Act of 68 and said, you know, we've been at this for 50 years, but here we are 50 years into saying equity is important, inclusion is important, diversity is important. And yet look at Fortune 500 CEOs and 96% of them are still white guys like me. What we're doing isn't working. That was my opening, and everybody pretty much went from this to like, "Hey, you got a pen I can borrow?" Because because this guy's willing to speak to speak the truth, and that's fundamentally what De <laughs> that's that's fundamentally what Deb tapped into. Which is, can we just talk reality here? Can we stop saying this is a cool thing or it's the right thing, and let's get to it that this is actually a really powerful business strategy, and if you approach it at that. And then we just jumped in and we talked about the five parts. And uh, at the end of the speech, it, it we was felt nutty. Like celebrities, because think about it, we hadn't launched a company yet. We didn't have a book yet. It was I literally mean, a speech. It was really, it was a speech. 
And so people came up to us and said, how do we, how do we implement this system? You know, what do, what do we do about it? How are, how, how are you guiding organizations to do this? And the people actually were following us out to our car. So we got, got in our car and I said, John, we have to do something about this. Um, yeah. We have to, yeah. we have to actually make this something that is executable. And you guys actually mentioned something. So you, you take, uh, I think diversity is the word right to use here, but you take it or inclusion as a business strategy as opposed to a checkbox maybe that you do so you please others. Is that a fair maybe yeah, we, of, yeah, uh, we call it, a, you know, basically ROI versus goodwill. And, you know, goodwill is obviously a powerful reason to do anything, but it's not really going to always move the dial. But when you can prove to an organization, whether it's a community or a business, that there actually is a return on investment, it becomes a powerful motivator for people to change things. And in order for us to actually get a patent published on our model, we had to prove that it got actual results, which is, you know, which is the basically the nature of the patent. Right. How, did you, how did you prove it? So do you have to prove it relative that if they did nothing? Or how do you prove that the results were a cause of your uh, program? Yeah, what what we step one step one is you know what is what are the there's three components to it. Uh, what are the components, and then if people follow these components and do these components, how do you take that and show that it drives? And what we tied it to, being a former Gallup consultant, is we tied it to Gallup's Q12, which is Gallup's engagement survey. It came out in 1999. It showed the wild benefits of an engaged workforce. Uh, and it became sort of a buzzword. It still is 20 years later. But how do you actually drive engagement? How do you get people to better understand what's expected of them? How do you get people to say, yes, I feel valued? How do you get people? Well, we were able to show that if you do this, you actually will drive those key indicators in the Gallup Q12. If you drive those Q12s, then we could just step back and let Gallup's research speak for itself. When you drive those, those, those 12 different elements, what is produced is higher productivity, higher innovation, lower turnover. So all we had to do was get the patent to the point that these drive those elements. And then Gallup did the rest for us, i.e. if you drive those elements, we got 40 years of data that says these are the measurable results. So that's how we did our bridge. So obviously we did a survey before to kind of baseline the culture. Right. And then we do surveys along the way. And then we do a post survey to measure the change in the culture once, we, once we've been there for a while. That's it, not to say that people don't do a one-off program with us, but we tell them, we'll, we'll be glad to do that program for you. We'll be glad to speak at, at that event. But the real change is through this, this five-part process and rolling that out in your organization. Then you're gonna see the, the measurable culture change. Now, are, so how, about how long ago was this? Um, four and a half years yeah. ago now. And how much has it changed since? Like how much have you adopted or uh, evolved your, your model, so to speak? Actually, that's a really good question. I would say that we have not ad ad adapted the model. We've added to the model. Yeah. So for example, we have a, a program on, um, we have a, a very specific program for, for police officers. So, and we've expanded on the, the five-part model to include some other elements that are really important to for law enforcement, for example. So I would say we've just added to it. And as we add to the model, we measure that as well to make sure that we're actually getting the impact out of those changes to the model. So um, you, you have like a module, like, so when you guys get to funded, this is what you do. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. One of, one, of, one of the worst terms in the history of the world is defund pretty, because pretty good, it's a pretty yeah. good one because it makes sense not to have police. Yeah. But, yeah. No, but so like, I mean, obviously that that uh, profession is heavily scrutinized and, and 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 rightfully so at times and wrongfully so at others. Tell me about how they're leveraging it because I think you know, that, that's a, a very important part of our society, in any society, and specifically, and we've had some significant challenges in recent years. What are they, I don't say what are they buying from me, but what are they fundamentally trying to change? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So what, what they're, what they're fundamentally trying to change, and, and this is an interesting thing that we find with all of our clients, whether they're corporate, whether it's, you know, uh, on the administrative side of a city, whether it's a university, or whether it's a police department, uh, they're already typically high functioning. They're already typically well thought of. It's sort of a good to great thing as opposed to reclamation projects. But typically what they're looking for is, okay, we get it. We have to have better trust. We have to have better collaboration. We have to have a better presence and partnership with the community. We're not exactly sure how to do that. Uh, so they bring us in and, and the biggest mistake that's made is, you know, either an oversight committee or just have more meetings with the public. And the bottom line is, if you really want an organization to fundamentally improve, you have to, it, you have to first focus internally. You have to model that behavior of collaboration and interdependence and respect for each other. You have to model that internally before you'll ever consistently do it externally. So we help them to model internally more effectively to appreciate each other for their talents, for their gifts. Once you get that mindset, then you're kind of naturally inclusive because the bottom line is Deb's so much better at writing than I am. So why would I try to write something when I can just partner with Deb? Well, the same thing is, so law enforcement brings us in to sort of help them change their mindset which in law enforcement is very much, everything's fine. I don't have a problem. I don't need any help. It's very, very secular. And once you get people to start depending on each other, they literally become more compassionate. They literally become more open to the fact they don't have all the answers that directly translates to their interactions in the community. Because now it's not such a leap to assume, you know what? They're not seeing things the way I see things, just like I don't see things the way my partner does. So we start internally and give them real tools to use to collaborate more effectively, interact more effectively, and, uh, and um, just be more effective with their organization and with the community. That's, that's what we do. If you go back to the year, the decade and a half on a sub, uh, yeah. you know, and when you were hunting for Red October, and the, the image in your back, I assume that's when you take the people who don't get in line and you throw them off the edge. Uh, and then you go back in the sub and you let them drown. Is that, is that the method when you have a few people on it? And I'd love to hear, by the way, what you do when you have somebody who just is awful and cannot, can't survive in the, in the submarine environment, which is definitely a metaphor and definitely analogous to corporations that some people are just not fit out for it. What do you do? Do you, do you take them to like your picture in the background there and you kick them off and you let them drown and you sail away or, or lock them in a jail? What do you do? Actually, it's, it's actually worse on a submarine because think about it. You're there 24 by seven. And so they have a role to do. And if they don't have that role, right? If they don't, have a, they don't do their role. Whew. Yeah, we go our separate ways. But so it's worse. And we actually talk about that in our in our books. too. I would but, love to hear about this because yeah. I was thinking 
someone has gotten choked on those and no one's known about it for sure. <laughs> um, we actually, in our first book, we openly talk about the conflict. Uh, it's called Valdezo Conflict. And Valdezo Conflict is exactly that. Two, two guys go on, on a fast attack submarine. First of all, it's very rare, but. It, it is very rare. Uh, but the reality is you have two categories. You literally have people that freak out because they're underneath the ocean. And um, I only had that happen once in all of those years. You know, 15 of my 20 years were on submarines in, in, in the Navy. Only one time, they, they literally, the corpsman sedated the person and we had to wait till we got someplace. So usually that's not the case. Usually to what you're speaking of, and this is directly related to corporate, private sector, uh, it's actually the second part of our, of our five-part model, which is everyone, everyone matters if they contribute which people find very threatening, like, whoa, 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 we should love people just because we love them. Well, the fact of the matter on a submarine is you never go to sea fully crewed. You're not getting replacements because you're underneath the ocean and you still have to complete the mission. So everybody has to contribute. To your point, when someone doesn't contribute, i.e. they don't get qualified in submarines, they don't get qualified in a watch station or those type of things, when we don't jettison them out of torpedo tube, but when we get to port, you're gone. The level of accountability is extremely high. That being said, it's really hard to get idiots to volunteer for submarine duty. So we want you to be successful. We're going to mentor you. We're going to give you tutors. We're going to give you, you're going to have all the resources. Our default setting is not for anyone to fail because it's going to be very hard to replace you. That being said, if after everything we've done to help you and maybe all the things you've done to help yourself, but it's just not a fit, there's no free rides, you're gone. So when we get back to port, God bless, you're not a bad person, but you're not cut out for this and you're out of there. And that's the accountability piece missing in the vast majority of organizations. And Bob's the, a nice guy, and Sue's the, a good hearted person. And in the not getting along piece, there's bow diesel. So that's a situation, I'm gonna ask John to expand on it, but it's a situation in which that person grates on you day in and day out. And they're they're literally driving you crazy. You're pointing at me, or you're no me. At me. Oh. <laughs> I was going to do the same. He was like, <laughs> maybe it's actually for the screen in that way. Uh, and and it's taken care of with some measure of violence. So I'm going to let you talk about that. Again, it's very rare. Yeah, the, you know, the, the submarines depicted in movies, you know, everybody hangs out, you know, everybody loves each other, everybody's pals. The reality, here's the reality of submarines. On a fast attack, there's 120 sailors, about 80 of which we don't like each other very much. Um, but that doesn't matter because the bottom line is we need everybody. Our definition of inclusion is two parts. Um, this false narrative that, you know, hey, let's be collaborative, let's be collaborative. Well, by nature, under stress, especially humans are not collaborative. We're very, hey, I better count on myself. I can't count on anyone else. So you better put something in there to make it worth my while to be collaborative. And that's called interdependence. The reality is, is I know how to navigate a submarine. That was what my job is, but I didn't know how to fix the equipment that I used to navigate. So I needed that person who could fix the equipment. I may not like him or her, but that, that was irrelevant. So biases, the Deb's point in the book is biases now go in a sea bag, not because we don't have them, not because I don't like this person, but because it's more important that I work with this person in order for us to get stuff done. So not getting along was generally because um, it was a personality conflict 
and it had nothing to do with ethnicity or gender or anything like that, or you didn't contribute. And most of the time it was because they didn't contribute to the mission. And if you think about even in the corporate world or in life, the people who really irritate us for the most part are people where we really question their contribution. So it's the reason why we focus on strengths. You know, what, what, what do people bring to the table? What is their value? And, uh, and getting people to focus on what their value is because it reduces conflict when I know what you're good at and what you contribute. But bow diesel. Yeah, and in rare, rare cases where you just can't figure it out or work it out, Couple of guys go down to the bow diesel. Most people probably don't know this, but nuclear submarines have big, huge diesels. And that's because we run on batteries sometimes and you need a diesel to charge a battery. So there's a compartment on a 637 class fast attack, more information than most people care, where two guys will go down and um, they'll uh, you know, sort of reconcile their differences in a very physical manner. And uh, whoever walks out first is sort of the winner. That's a very rare thing, but it does occasionally get physical on a submarine. Um, and here's the interesting part on that. There's no long-term resentment on the winner or the loser side. It's just that, okay, next. Uh, so it's, it's, and an, it saves having to jettison them out the torpedo. Right. Yeah. Side. Which yeah. is very, what happens if on a sub you play, uh, the village people in the Navy? Yes. Are you jettisoned out immediately? No. Does it just, no. Does it play endlessly in the bow diesel zone and the loser has to sit in there for like a day? Yeah, um, probably more like if you were doing, uh, let me give you a better, um, gosh, I can't, his name is escaping me, but there is, yeah, there is some music that you just don't play on submarines because nobody, I'm trying, I'm thinking of the guy with, who's the guy with the long hair that plays the alto saxophone? Oh, Kenny G. Kenny G. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you ain't getting away with Kenny G on a submarine, just, it's just not happening. Great golfer, um, but man. Not, not happening. So, <laughs> All of that, all of that is directly related. It, it, it's very interesting that whole mindset that it's not a matter of who's your pal and who's not. It's a matter of what's your role and how to get the mission done. When, when I retired from the Navy and I went into um, sales and, and pretty quickly management at CBS television, God is my witness. When I had somebody come up and say, John, I just got to tell you, I can't work with Bob. I absolutely, I, I literally, I didn't understand what they were saying. I'm like, what do you mean you can't work with Bob? Well, he's this, he's that. And we're not talking harassment or anything. They just basically didn't like each other. And I didn't understand why that was an issue. It's like, I, I don't care if you hate each other, you have to work together. It's not an option. I'm not gonna move you to the second floor because you and Bob need to work this out because I need both of you. So I had a real hard time understanding this whole concept of that. Yeah. And um, quite and frankly, actually a lot about corporate America surprised him. So a lot about corporate. Yeah, America. you couldn't like start a fight club or go to the like supply room and be like bow diesel. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, you had to modify some of the techniques a little, but the principles worked really well, and I became really, really successful. You know, running running sales teams at CBS, and all I did was just run them like a submarine. That's, That's all I did. I mean, and it's fat. So I do have to ask the question then. So. Uh, for those who do and those who are working and, and under command, let's say, of a corporation or from a submarine, what happens when it's the leader of the organization or the, the one downs that are really driving on from the report up, they're, they're executing as planned and, and the, everyone hates them. So what do you, well, how do you, uh, and they may be the ones in your case who are hiring you, but they don't realize that their contribution is the problem. They think they're contributing positively and it's actually 
no. So w- talk to me about uh, that, those types of situations and maybe tie it into who, who should really bring you into an organization to help uh, execute your, your program. I think that's the first time we've ever been asked that question and that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, 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 it yeah. is pretty cool. I don't know if you and meant that, but thank you. The, <laughs> the, the, answer, the answer to that is one of the, we, we do hear frequently, it's not me, it's them. It's my middle manager, it's the executives, it's the, and then the executives are like, hey, our strategic plan is brilliant. It's those knuckleheads on the execution. So, so there's a lot of this us them thing. And the first thing you have to address is all of us are us and all of us are them. So the bottom line is if you have a problem with next level up supervision, okay, fine. Might be real, might be perception, but what are you doing about it? Are you making suggestions or are you running your team more effectively? The bottom line is I never, ever, ever have heard of anybody senior looking at you improving the performance of you as an individual contributor or of your team fill in the blank, your squad, your division, your unit, whatever. And somebody senior coming down going, you know what? I'm looking at the numbers and they're 20% up from last quarter. I don't know what you're doing, but knock that crap off. It never, it never. So, so if you can't change one step up, just be better at what you do control. And that tends to spread because at the end of the day, we're a results focused organization. If you're results focused and you're producing better results, a lot of those problems solve themselves. Yeah. Not all. I'll give this scenario though that I've seen uh, repeat in a number of organizations yeah. from uh, implementing anything from like intelligent automation to uh, just just being a part of a really horrible culture is as you achieve results, as you're directed, as you're employed to do so, the culture being you must give me credit 100%. I will give you no credit for what you've contributed. And so it puts the people that work for you in horrible situation where if they fail, it's their fault. And if they succeed, it's always the people above them that are continually claiming it's my leadership that does this. And it's a horrible management style, right? Because it, it just, it's, it's just like a iron fist fear driven. You'll get no credit and you'll, you know, I don't want your opinion. I want you to do it. That is a hard one to see on paper because it looks like they're improving, but quite honestly, when you have one manager like that, the ones that get promoted are just like that. So how do you, are there sometimes, I guess this is the question I'm asking. Have you gone into a culture where you might be like, you guys aren't a fit and here's why, because of that reason. Like you have such a bad management style and hiring practice that quite honestly, you're never going to get out of your own way. Yes. This ship is sunk to give you the, the metaphor. Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, if, if we don't feel the commitment from the senior leaders, then we will not take that engagement. And generally what happens if, if I'm totally focused on me and I wanna look good and I don't care about the people who work for me at all and I'm not sharing credit, I'm just a poor leader, I'm probably not gonna bring these guys in because it's gonna be pretty apparent that I am all of those things. And so they wouldn't even bring us in. If they did happen to bring us in, let's say, they have to do professional development. There's a, there's a quota and some organizations have that. So they hired us and they were all about that, all about taking the credit and placing the blame. Then that would become pretty apparent and there would definitely be some, some level of, of, uh, of conflict there. But generally in an organization, it, you, you can build a culture where everyone is like that. 
but usually that's not the case. There are a few individuals who want to give credit, who want to share credit, who understand the value of being a good leader. And if I were in that organization working with them, I would be developing and tapping into those individuals who want to be in that culture, who feel like they don't have a place, and I would be working with them on it. And then I would be reducing the influence of the person who has that, it's all about me mindset. Um, if not, that organization is doomed because anyone who's any good is gonna leave. Yeah. And, I, and I honestly think at the senior levels, because I've been that person, you recognize who's trying to take credit and who's really doing the hard work that needs to be done. And it's not just one person who's ever effective. It has to be more than one person. And if they're taking credit as the individual who's leading the whole thing, it's just, it's yeah. clearly not the case. And it's silly to even imply that. I, I've had, oh, sorry, go ahead, John, sorry. No, I, I, Deb, Deb made a really important point that for those of us that are baby boomers, the workplace is a very different place today than it's, than it's ever been before. Um, you know, a lot of us that were brought, raised as, as baby boomers was like, you know, you have a job, be thankful for your job, no matter how long the beatings go on, it's just how it is. Um, companies that are still operating under that model, Deb said it very well, you're out of business, you just don't know it yet. Because nobody under the age of 40 these days is going to put up with that garbage long term, they're going to leave. And what's going to happen is your most talented people are always employable. So your most talented people, regardless of your econ economy, are going to be the first to leave because they're not going to put up with that environment. So now who are you backfilling with? Less and less talented people. And pretty much you're going to wind up with an organization full of bottom feeders that can't work anywhere well, else. The reality is and your organization's in trouble. There are people like that everywhere. It's not generational. There, there are people who are like that. Um, Period. No, my point, my point is this, someone who is 30 has no tolerance for that type of leadership or those of us that might be over 50, that's going to drive turnover. It is what it is. Yeah. So it's going to drive massive turnover and it's going to lower your, your, your innovation and your effectiveness. You know, and well, let, let me bridge it. So that a, a conversation I've had with all sorts of people of different cultures, race, cult, all of it, right? I mean, gender, you name it, is, is the word diversity. And the example being, what is actually diversity? Because to some degree, I think if you want to drive innovation as you'd spoke or a cultural shift, if you're doing diversity as a checkbox or, an, or a must have, because someone's city versus a strategy to actually drive a better organization, you're also, I think, doomed to fail and, and miss really good people that are diverse, though they may not check the box, so to speak, for that. I know you guys have, have you've struggled with us. I'm sure at times you get called in. Could you talk about what diversity inclusion really means from uh, your perspective and how it works within your system? Sure. Sure. Uh, first of all, they're in the wrong order. It's not diversity. In a, it's equity, inclusion. And if you are an equitable organization driving inclusion, then you're ready for diversity. If your first step in an initiative is diversity, you're already screwed. Here's why. Um, whether we're talking the, you know, first of all, diversity is, is much broader than protected class. Diversity is everything from people's talents to Deb's point earlier, to their strengths, to just all of those things that make your, your DNA, your DNA, that's true diversity. 
If you start with, I want more of this or more of that, but your culture is not ready to embrace more of this or more of that, you're going to have a failed diversity initiative. Your initiative needs to start with equity, um, which is very different than equality. Uh, they're used interchangeably, but equality is treat everybody the same. It sounds nice, but it's a ridiculously ineffective approach because not everybody is the same. We don't have the same needs. We don't have the same talents. We don't start in the same place. Equality is really what you want to create in your organization. And a great place to start is by Deb's point about what talents does a person have? Because see, talents are blind. Talents don't see color or gender. Talents see talent. So if you build equity, and I know what I'm good at, and I'm encouraged to get better, and I know what Deb's good at, and she's encouraged to get better, now we're going to be interdependent. We're going to be collaborative. We're actually going to be inclusive, not because it's a buzzword, but because it makes sense to partner on projects. Once I'm equitable and inclusive, I am now ready for diversity. Now, some will occur naturally, but as far as a really dedicated initiative, diversity coming first will end badly. Diversity should be your last focused initiative after you've built the culture of equity and inclusion. That's our approach. Do you guys take the opinion of uh, that there are some people in the world in an organization, they are only, and they're only capable to achieve so much. And, and I think we have this, everyone gets a metal philosophy in life that every, anybody could be a CEO, anybody could be a leader. The truth is that's not even close to being true. However, how do you work through an organization that really is saying, you know, we want to develop all of you, but the truth is you're a cog in a wheel and you have a role to do and you need to do it really well. And we don't really want you to leave or do anything. How, how do you, how do you bridge the, the gap of having the machine of an organization actually run versus helping people improve, which can potentially take them out of what they're very good at doing? I, I, I mean, I, I struggle with this. a really good question. Yeah, because um, I, I struggle with that. Yeah. Of you know, If I was to buy build my own company ever, how do I do that without stifling the company of it always being on the lookout for the next person that's great because as soon as they're great they're maybe gone so I, I don't know I'll be quiet your turn so, so some organizations put a lot of emphasis on secession planning and we we actually have a secession planning program which helps organizations but secession planning might be that I am growing uh, I'm growing in my position through professional development not through promotions and people will continue to be stimulated they'll be interested in their job if they're getting continuing to get raises, if they're valued for what they do and they're appreciated for their strengths in that role, and they don't feel like they have to be it from a succession planning standpoint, they don't have to have a promotion to have value. In fact, in our second book, we talk about zigging versus zagging. There's a lot of zigging and zagging that can happen in an organization where I move over laterally and I, and I grow and I take on a new role, but I'm not necessarily promoted because that's not my thing. Or I could stay in a role and professionally develop and I could grow and be completely content as long as I'm getting raises. But too many organizations put an emphasis on, you have to take on more responsibility and you have to have promotions in order for me to make more money. Guess what you've done? You've just set me up so I have to change. I have to get uh, frustrated in my role because I can't make more money and you aren't continuing to give me a good evaluation every year, or every six months, whatever the, you know, whatever the process is, because I'm not getting promoted and I'm not taking on more and more responsibility. There's people who are suited for that role 
and they should be appreciated for that role and they can, should have opportunities to zig and zag or professionally develop or make more money in, in that particular role. I, I really think uh, it'd be interesting an organization that took the submarine approach where every three years you have to leave the organization. Yep. And I and I don't I don't know of any that exists. Maybe you guys, but I think that would be you know outside of maybe executives that help facilitate that. That would be fantastic. That you must leave three years. You must contribute. You get paid well, but you got to go, and you got to go get some experience, and you can boomerang back after a year or two. I mean, so I, I think that I always thought that would be really. I mean, I basically have done that with my personal career. <laughs> Every year and a half, I'm like, yeah, something new. But um, the, the the idea behind what you're you're doing. Um, and, and, and executing for, for organizations. And it's it's not just business, it's government too and police. And you, you, oh, yeah. this is applicable across anything really. Uh, mm -hmm. It'd be interesting if you got brought back in to help train submarine groups. I think that would be a true full circle of like, let me show you how you really do this. Like, right. Um, but- Well, we do me, work with the Navy, so that's good. I, I, would, think, I would hope. Uh, I, I would think um, maybe if you could say this. So, so it, for the 98 people that are gonna watch this on day one, uh, if anybody gets this part in the video right now, this momentous piece, the shameless plug section, who is it you want to call you and why? What 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 is the what is the you know the holy grail of oh my gosh they called? Who is it? Well, I mean, I can I can tell you this that we don't get organizations that are in really bad shape. They just don't reach out to us. We get organizations that are really they're good. And they want to go to great. They, they already know that they have something, either their product or their service or, uh, you know, their internal workings, their teaming, they're already doing a really good job and they want to take it to the next level. So in general, it's the good to great group that that's interested in us. Um, I would say that we typically work for uh, communities that are, um, you know, not, not New York City. You know, they're, they're definitely 200 to 500,000 citizens in that particular community. And we work with all, you know, all different kind of leaders within that community. Uh, we work with universities who want to do something special in, in that university. Um, we, we also work with organizations that want to go from good to great. And the way they've been able to justify working with us is that return on investment. So they can say, we're working with them because we know it's measurable and we know we're going to have consistent change within that organization. Uh, we typically say there isn't one industry that is really our, uh, you know, our, our nirvana, so to speak. It is, if it's a human being and they wanna go from good to great, we can influence them and we can make a difference in, in those organizations. Yeah, yeah. I, the only thing I would add there is if, if there's an organization that actually understands that valuing your people and developing your people is not a bumper sticker, it's not like whatever, let's try to keep ourselves out of trouble, but it really is the single biggest way to eliminate any competition you have. It's not your technology, it's not your strategic plan, it's your human capital, it's the people. If you understand that maximizing their value is important, then the, that's the ideal fit for us because the depth's point, you already have an appreciation of people. If you don't have an appreciation of people, it's a non-starter because everything we do is about valuing the person and then getting them to work more effectively within teams to produce better results. 
So if there's not a fundamental understanding that these are more than just whatever replaceable things, then you're then you're probably working on process or you're working on technology, but you're not really real, realizing that the people make the biggest difference in your organization. And then we're probably not for you, which is fine. I, I think eventually you circle back around because it's going to impact your results. Yeah. What if Kenny G calls you? You take it? I mean. Oh sure. Um, He's kind of cute. That's a, that's a discussion that I'm going to just sit back and watch happen. <laughs> what? <laughs> Kenny G is cute. He's cute. I can see oh, the title cute. of this video now. Kenny G is cute. Learn more. <laughs> well, I don't know what that says about me because you know, my wife just said Kenny well, G is cute. So I, we, we, we did a, a video earlier and she said you look like Denzel Washington. Which, <laughs> I saw it. Which would be really good too. Yeah. How many tanning salons and beds are on a submarine? Uh, there are no tanning salons. Um, there are not even enough beds for everybody on a submarine. It's, it's sort of a lovely feature is A, the water's off more than it's on. So you might go four, five, six days without a shower. And you usually have the pleasure of sharing your bunk with two other, two other folks. It sounds so, like an amazing experience. I, I'm glad you uh, 15. It's pretty minutes. disgusting. I liked it. <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, okay. I love humor, but serious topic. Tell me what an engagement. Let me ask a couple of things here as we kind of close on time. But um, what's an engagement like? Is it two days, one day, an afternoon, a week? What's a typical engagement? And maybe talk to me about how do, how does someone get started down the path outside of the call? But like, what's it look like? Maybe walk me through that a bit. Yeah, um, we occasionally will have uh, one or two engagements. So we'll we'll do a workshop or two. Not really very often. Um, and uh, many, many times we'll do a speech. We'll come in and talk about, um, you know, one of our topics in, in, in a particular speech, and then that leads to more engagements. But typically an engagement would be either what we call core compass one or core compass two. And it takes about uh, to complete core all the way through core compass two, which is eight different uh, courses. It takes about six months to do that. You can get through core compass one in about three months. And we actually like that timing. I, I know from an organizational perspective, it might be, wow, that's that's a pretty big commitment. But unless you make that commitment, you're not going to make that culture change that you need to make because the culture changes because we're reinforcing. We have um, we have a learning management system that has 40 different courses on it that reinforce uh, all of our programs. We also have a Vimeo channel that has videos that reinforce like two, two minute messages about, you know, uh, reinforcing certain topics. Our, our books are used in conjunction with all of our courses. So before you attend the very first course, um, Strengths the Submarine Way, you'll get an assignment that says, read, read this, and it sets the stage for the, for, for the course. You go through the course, and then um, in addition to the course, you'll have reinforcement. So as you're working through Core Compass 1 and Core Compass 2, you're beginning to open up how you think about this particular topic and you're beginning to change. You're beginning to change how you interact with people and you're beginning to change how you think. And if you're law enforcement, you're beginning to change how you see the community and what your relationship and responsibility to the community is. It's, so, it's very much transformational, not transactional, though clearly we do transactional things. We do one-off workshops, we do weekend retreats and things, but, but our ideal to your earlier point of ideal we're in the business of changing mindset, which leads to a change of behavior. You can't do that in a workshop. That takes, that takes time and reinforcement. Um, 
there's there's a thing out there called learning decay, which everyone who has spent money in training knows. Mm -hmm. You can go to the greatest workshop in the history of the world. If there's no reinforcement, if there's no accountability to do something with what you learned, within 30 days, 90% of what you've learned is literally gone. It's not that you're not using it, it's like you don't even remember it anymore. So we're the anti-learning decay. We make sure there's touch points every week when we're working with a client so that we actually drive a change of mindset leading to a change of behavior. And that way, when we leave, they keep going. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing. You just described college for me. So thanks. Oh, okay. You're, you're welcome. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think uh, if, if I think about, you know, how you guys scale as a business, like, so are you delivering it yourself or as you've gotten busy, are you starting to I mean, create the minion workforce that says, Hey, we set it off. And then you have someone who helps stick with a client do check-ins with them through. How are you guys growing me? If it's okay to me, how do you grow as a business? Cause right now it's your brand, your things, but it's, but you have a repeatable process. So yeah. I like where you're at because it seems like you could scale it. You can grow, you can, you know, commercial yeah, franchise not, it almost, if you will. I mean, minion workforce. I mean, we're very particular about the people who certify and deliver our material. Uh, so you, can't you, like, you can become certified like a franchise. Can. I wouldn't think franchise model for you guys, but I'm, I'm thinking, but that's how you're doing it, through certification, handpicked, very careful right. brand. And we call them affiliates. And, and the reason why that's different from a franchise is because they, they become certified on our program. They can deliver our program. They could actually deliver our program within their own business. So they might have their own LLC, a training company, and then they can, they can sell and, and, um, and then conduct those programs for, for their organizations. So we're very particular about that. And we always tell the people who want to become affiliates of us, they're in a pretty elite group, not that many people. And we don't want that many people to be certified on it. Um, so, so that's one way. Um, and one reason why we're particular is, as you can imagine, John is a very dynamic person in his delivery. He's funny. He's interesting. He's got firsthand knowledge of all of the stories and the content and all of that, that he can uh, you know, people are mesmerized by his delivery. And so he's really sought after for these programs for him to deliver it. So in order for us to maintain that brand, that level of energy, we have to have people who are as confident as he is in delivering the material who have their own stories. And I'll give you an example of a couple of people who are certified. Uh, one of them is a Marine Raider. And he's certified on our program. He's got his own stories. You don't have to be military to, to, to obviously be certified. And we have someone else who was um, one of the most senior people in human resources in an organization who is as mesmerizing as uh, the, the Marine Raider or John is in her own way in delivering the program. So we're looking for people who are next level in delivering these programs. And we have enough people certified now that if it's a really large organization, so let's say it is New York City, I mean, we'll have to, we'll have to work out a, you know, a plan with them so that we can deliver it in a, in a timely basis. But a lot of our clients actually want to be certified. They want to take two or three or four of their um, exceptional people, and they want them to be certified on the program. They want to be able to be certified and licensed so that they can deliver in their own organizations. So we do a lot of that uh, with organizations too, where they actually have the capability to, to um, conduct our programs. I can see you guys selling the book and uh, the course to a, uh, to university as well. MBA type of a program that would be, mm -hmm. that would have been helpful. Uh, the, Cause you, you know, you, especially when you get out of school, even if you're an, an MBA student, maybe prior to working or working a few years, uh, knowing 
that that is actually a, there's a fundamental process and a system in place, either be good or bad, uh, that needs to be followed to affect change. Is not it's missed. It's always the you know it's more of the theoretical business things like that or whatever you're in. But in any environment, either be like an art student to a musician to business to you know technologist, understanding that you can affect change in your organization from any level. Uh, is is missed, I think, currently. In, in most it, it it is. We're doing we're doing some work with a uh, medical university in Tennessee, and it's like, hey, guess what? You're 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 getting ready to be a doctor, and you want to go into private practice, and you have absolutely no idea how to run a business. You have absolutely no idea how to hire, to develop, to do any of that stuff. And they had the foresight that we're working with them now to instill some of these these principles because you hit a really important point. This is literally a step-by-step -step model you can follow. If you do this, this is how people will respond. Now, not everybody, but 80% of people respond to these stimulus because at the end of the day, when you value something and you recognize them for their areas of talents and their contributions, people respond really well to that. And they tend to, they tend to innovate and they tend to produce. And rather than just saying that out loud, we show you how to do that. Do this first, do this second, do this third. So to your point, it's actually a model you can follow and not this theoretical stuff. Be good to your people, they'll be good to you. Right. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, define good. Um, so, so good. you know, I, we're about out of time. I appreciate you guys. I, I think, you know, I know you can get, there's a couple books you can buy, maybe talk about, uh, like, it's a good read, right? So like, tell me about how people would just, you know, if they want to get a copy of it and, and, how do they do that? And just, you know, another, I love shameless plugs, but let's just call it what it is. How do people read your book? Like as an yeah, Amazon or do they email it to you? Do you, you have to dictate it over a fire? Tell me, tell me how you like to deliver. No, it. it's everywhere. I mean, it's in every bookstore around, uh, literally around the world. So you can, you can get both of our books anywhere. Um, you can also reach out to us directly and we'll send you a signed copy of our book. There's that's pretty popular for us to actually autograph and, and send the book out ourselves. So that's, that's another way to do it. In terms of content in both of the books, if some of the stories that we've told you today are interesting, like bow diesel um, conflict, like some of those stories, not only is it content that's obviously oriented towards business, it's oriented towards communities, but it's really an interesting read. And we talk specifically about the smells of the submarine, the interactions of the individuals, the, the you know, conflict-ridden environment and how you deal with that kind of conflict. So it's a very interesting read. And the first book is Diversity and Inclusion, The Submarine Way. That's Diversity and Inclusion, The Submarine Way. Again, it's out on Amazon or anywhere. Um, the second book is Up Periscope, Putting Traditional Leadership in the Crosshairs, because we take on a lot of the typical ideas about what it is like to be a good leader. And we say, it's really kind of, it's a bunch of bunk. Here are the things that you need to do to actually be a really good leader. And um, some of it's contrarian, some of it's pretty basic common sense stuff, but some of it's contrarian. Um, again, both books are available everywhere. Amazon, you can reach out to us for a signed copy and we'd love that. And the 95 people who are watching this, you're very- scared. 98, there's 90, he said 98. Oh, 98, 98. No, wait, wait, three, three have dropped off by now, for sure. You're, you're, you're very special. Yes, yeah. Yeah, we absolutely <laughs> you are. I'm not being facetious, you are. Um, yeah, our, our, our store, which is uh, on, on our website, strangely enough named thesubmarineway.com. Oh, that's what's behind uh, your head. Okay. That, that's I store there, all the books. If you buy your books there, they'll come autographed and they'll awesome. come uh, with, a little, with a little note with your name on it because we know who you are because you bought a book. 
Uh, but you can also, to Deb's point, you can get them online anywhere on Amazon and stuff. They won't come signed, but yeah. you know, they'll, they'll, they'll come either way. Wonderful. But the other thing, Deb didn't say this because Deb actually wrote them. I didn't, I didn't write these books. Deb's a writer. Um, I'm just there because I'm the submarine guy, but she's the brilliant writer in the, in, in, in the partnership. And to your point earlier, we, this isn't just some generic book. Deb, in Diversity and Inclusion, Submarine Way, for example, every chapter ends by, if you're a corporation, make sure you do this. If you're in police, if you're law enforcement, do this. If you're, in a, if you're a faith-based organization, do this. It's actual specific guidance on how to take this from theoretical and apply it practical. It's very, very, very usable. Uh, and the second I actually book is think the same. It's, it's one of the ways we distinguish ourselves is it's not theory. It's a very practical, practical. Not a theory it is, guide. Yeah, it, it is a system and a process that you can that you can uh, employ anywhere. Wonderful. I'm going to start a faith based political organization that is uh, revenue driven and, and I'll throw some police in there, too. And then I'm going to use all three of them and have a fantastic experience. And we'd love to help you. Please you hire go. us. Let us pray. How hard can that be? I'm sorry. Uh, so, hey guys, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate you joining uh, and doing this uh, with me today. And I really think uh, I'm going to look. I'm going to look back in some five years. And be like, I knew them. I know they're on a yacht now um, because they've sold it to every university and military, and they got that big I'm military. On a submarine, contract. actually. Oh no, no. You, you. There's no way you're going back. I bet right now you're thinking three years and that thing again. Mm-mm. No. No. I'm, I'm not even going to visit one. No. Um, no, just like you start shivering. If you, you, if you, you got beat book, up in the bow diesel a couple times. Just you Yeah, know. you'll feel like you're there. So just read the book. <laughs> Wonderful. Hey, guys, thank you so much. Thank Have you. a great day. Take care. Yeah, we appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you. We this appreciate you 98 people. Right? We appreciate your 98. 98. You guys rock. Thank you. You're the heroes here. Let's give them applause. 98. <laughs> Clap Take care. Yourself. All right. Bye. Bye.